Tanya, welcome to the RT Rugby podcast. After Leinster exit the Heineken Cup at the semi-final stage, delighted to say Donald Lennon, Bernard Jackman and Wes Eddy are with us as always to dissect the weekend's games. So it'll be La Rochelle, Don Regards La Rochelle against Toulouse in the final an all-French affair. Uh, Donald, I guess, look, you know, very disappointing if you're a Leinster rugby fan, but I don't think there can be too many arguments that the better team on the day won out. No, no question about that. Um, look, I think going into the semi-finals and having seen Toulouse against Munster in in, in the game in Thoman Park, I felt they were La Rochelle and Leinster were the two best teams left in the tournament. And there was always a concern, given the sheer size of of that La Rochelle pack and the quality that they had, that they would look to emulate that Saracens template of of 2019 and 2020, and that's exactly what they did. Um, you have to say, given the circumstances, after 10 minutes, I thought Leinster were going to pummel them and, and, and pull away from them. Uh, La Rochelle gave away so many penalties, uh, conceded that early try. But to be fair to them, for a, a side who haven't been in that position of knockout rugby that often, they, they held their composure. And uh, really, the manner in which they pulled away and bossed the second half sort of, uh, I think, was a harsh lesson for, for Leinster. I think it highlights issues beyond Leinster's control that we've spoke about on this program numerous times in terms of the competitiveness of the, the Pro 14. Um, but look, uh, I think it's going to be a very good final. Uh, to, I, I fancy La Rochelle, I must say. Um, but having said that, Toulouse have an advantage over, over our sides in that they play against them two or three times. I think they've beaten them five out of the last six outings. Um, but I think that's going to make it a riveting final, even though it's disappointing there's no Irish team there. If you take that 10 minutes out, Bert, and as the game went on, as Donald said, I mean, there really was only one team playing rugby, and that was La Rochelle. And they played some brilliant rugby at times, albeit they didn't make some mistakes. And I guess if you want to be ultra-critical, they, they weren't as clinical, perhaps, as Ronald O'Gar might have liked at certain stages inside the Lens 22. But they played some brilliant rugby, and they played all the rugby. Yeah, they they did. I mean, when you think about the first twenty minutes, um, or, like to lose three kickoffs deep in your own twenty-two and the chaos that um, followed that for for La Rochelle. It gave Leinster three brilliant um, opportunities to get field position. Um, you know, their discipline at the breakdown for the first twenty minutes was really poor. So Leinster had you know an awful lot of possession and really to only score um, you know one try with all that possession and and. Um, that ill discipline from from La Rochelle was a poor return, and once they sorted out, you know, the the right balance between being super aggressive at the breakdown and obviously um, being illegal, um, and you know, Matt Cardi in fairness, he 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 stopped. He definitely got they got on the right side of him. Um, then there was only really one team in it, and and uh, yeah, it was a ver- like I think. I think O'Gara and, and John O'Gibbs actually weren't happy with their with their own attack, um, and yes. You know they they won the game quite convincingly, won by nine points. But Ross Burns' try at the end was a was a consolation score. So um, it just shows you how much possession they had and how how dominant they were physically. That they're you know they beat Leinster by nine points, going away really, and they're kind of not happy with how they, their attack performed. Um, so, so they they, they feel yeah. they could have they could have beaten them by by a lot more. Is that basically? Yeah, I think yeah they, they didn't feel there was there was fluid as they as they would like to be. Now in fairness, they. Because they got so much joy out of going Route One, um, and uh, the impact that was having on, on Leinster, um, I can see why they continued to do that. But um, I, I certainly think that 
you know, given the amount of possession they had and good quality ball, they probably could have pulled the trigger a few more times, which is worrying for, for Leinster. I thought defensively Leinster were under serious pressure once um, once La Rochelle got any bit of momentum and couldn't really regather and and and, and refine control, which which I suppose is just it's just the the fact they're not not used to it. Um, it's just such a shock for them uh, when they come up against the Saracens, um, you know, a La Rochelle or a Racing or you know Exeter aren't that power team that the other boys that Saracens are and and La Rochelle to do's Racing are. They're they're different. They're they're more based around. Um, you know, a lot of cohesion. They've got powerful players, but I think Exeter, We it was a brilliant performance by Leinster, but I think Exeter are struggling to kick on from having won the double. Um, they also have more players now playing international rugby, and they're just not at the level. They're not like Bristol are top of the, um, uh, the Premiership are, are, are very much vying with them for, for top rank there. I think Exeter maybe aren't as good as they were last year. Um, and as I said, they're not as powerful a team as, 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 the, as Leinster came up against the weekend. And, and yeah, they just weren't able to handle it, which was it's worrying for for the Irish provinces ability to to go and win European titles again. And it's also it's worrying from from an Irish point of view as well, because let's be honest, you know, we have struggled against teams like that. And I don't think the England game is a is a, is a, is enough of evidence to say that um we found a way to do that. I think England obviously were just a little bit off this this six nations. It's fairly grim, isn't it, Wes? Uh, for a Leinster side containing what, I don't know. 13 or 14 internationals in the starting 15 that they can't problem solve um, against the side like La Rochelle and equally that they seemed quite shell-shocked by the ability of the French side to play at the level that they were. I mean, I was, I was just sat back um, in amazement really at their inability to fix problems on the pitch and, and just seemed to completely overwhelmed by what the French side was putting up. Yeah, you started to wonder a little bit, just, you know, had maybe the lack of match time had a little bit of, of an impact. Um, because the talk in the lead up to the game was that, you know, if Leinster could maintain, hold a possession and, you know, build phases that ultimately La Rochelle would tire in the second half. But as it transpired, if anything, it was the opposite that happened. But like, I suppose La Rochelle have booked the trend a little bit in that, you know, t- teams that have won this tournament, not that they've won it yet, but with the exception of Toulon, who probably put the best team we've ever seen on paper in the tournament out, um, all the other teams that have won it, that have built history in it, have kind of paid their dues, so to speak, have, have you know been knocking at the door for a number of years. And it, it, it was probably that sense that La Rochelle hadn't garnered that level of experience in Europe against the likes of Leinster that was certainly holding me back from, from thinking they were, they were going to upset them. But... I mean, it probably points to the fact that we all are a little guilty of, in an, in an international context, of, of overrating a lot of a lot of the players playing at the highest level in this country. And that, that's not to say they're bad players or anything like that, but maybe we, you know, the, I, I think with one or two exceptions, the the rugby press in this country is fairly easy going on 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 the national team and and on the players associated. And I think maybe. Maybe we don't recognise the value in other players from other countries uh, by comparison at times. I mean, I was looking at the two packs on Friday or Saturday and I was going, saying to myself, geez, I think there's only a couple of La Rochelle lads getting that Leinster pack. But like in hindsight, it's probably the opposite argument you'd have made. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just like, look, they lost a the semi-final away from home in a season where they won a domestic league. Um, 
so like in one sense there's no need for an overreaction but it was the kind of defeat I think that that pointed to a couple of wider issues both for Leinster and for 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 Irish rugby or certainly Irish provincial rugby more generally I think what do you think about that Donald are we guilty of overhyping um the players in this country based on what we know is a an awful domestic league in the Pro 14. The standard rugby is just way below in a lot of teams um, where it should be versus the very highest level. Are we guilty of over-egging uh, rugby players in this country? Uh, I, I, I think it's probably uh, an extreme one way or the other. I mean, uh, 2018 when Ireland, you know, when they won a Grand Slam, they beat New Zealand. Um, you know, we all certainly saw them being contenders for the World Cup and, and getting to a semi-final of the World Cup, even though they were going to have to meet uh, New Zealand or South Africa, we thought, or as it transpired, uh, New Zealand on the way. Um, I think, to be fair, the quality of the Pro 14 has dipped massively in the last two years. And therefore, uh, as a result of that, our top players aren't tested uh, often enough. Um, I mean, you, <clears throat> you spoke about Leinster players there in terms of, of the quality going into the match. 13 of their starting team featured in the Six Nations Championship. So even though they hadn't been, you could say they weren't as cohesive as they normally would be, but they did have, you know, they, they blew Munster away in a Pro 14 final and they did beat Exeter away from home, having conceded 14 points in the opening seven or eight minutes. Uh, I think the problem is, and we've seen this with so many Irish teams over the past number of years, when an opposition gets uh, gets a grip on them in terms of controlling possession and controlling territory, not allowing both Leinster and Ireland, their game is predicated on dominating the game line. Once they don't get that, they struggle massively. Uh, and you go back to Saturday's game. Um, La Rochelle scrum. They only had two scrums in the first half, so they didn't get the, the chance to really impose that massive power. They got a penalty off the first scrum in the second half. They obviously said at half time, and you'd have to say at half time, Leinster, they were a, a point ahead, and you'd be reasonably happy with the way the game had gone. But they got a penalty off the scrum, kicked uh, to the 22. They got another penalty off the line out mall. They scored off that. And all of a sudden, then you saw the template was in place. The other area where Leinster and Ireland suffer massively is when they don't control the breakdown. Uh, you know, you could say that for all teams, but I thought um, the number of times and, and, and Birch was kind of maybe hinting at some degree of illegality, but I always believe you have to adapt to what's happening on the, uh, you know, on the hoof, on the pitch. You've got to interpret what the referee <coughs> is doing. Mm. I mean, James Ryan twice. And I don't know, was there a kind of um, something at the back of his head where he, he was saying, look, I got a show form with a lion selection coming up tomorrow and all this type of thing. But he, he took ball, took ball on off the base of a rock when all the other forwards were on the deck. He got isolated in the tackle. There was a penalty given straight away. And that happened numerous times. So to be fair to La Rochelle, while they have that massive bulk in the front five, fellas like Aldrich and Victor Vita aren't bigger than our fellas but they're very athletic. But the platform that's laid for them up front enables them to do the things that they do best. And Leinster, once they're on the back foot, and it's the same with Ireland, they just find it very hard to claw their way back into games. So where do you, where do you start pointing the finger of blame then, Birch? I mean, 
is it individual performances within the team? I know James Ryan didn't have a particularly good game. I, I know well, certainly Ross Byrne had another very average game for me. Um, James Lowe, uh, Keen Healy, there's quite a few. Is it individual performances? Do you point the finger at the collective team performance? Do you look at the coaching system? Where do you kind of scratch it? And again, we know we're saying Heineken's Cup semi-final isn't, isn't a bad season, but it is a bad season if you want to gauge where Leinster's um, objectives are, where they want to win this tournament. Yeah, look, at I think um, there's no doubt that Leinster's, a lot of Leinster players didn't play well. They didn't play well individually or collectively, but I, I would also say they weren't allowed to play well. I mean, you know, James Lowe's errors came from, yeah, I suppose, you know, good kicks in behind him um, and good kick chase and pressure. And, you know, the one that he put up in the air at his own 22, he either ran that back or he kicked it back long, but he, he seemed to be completely frazzled. And, and that's that's what really good teams do to you. They they put you in places you're not used to. Uh, they make it uncomfortable for you and they expose, you know, any any mental frailties or or uh, inexperience, probably not inexperience for Leinster, but just inability to deal with that, that physical onslaught, which in fairness was what La Rochelle brought. Other teams bring tactical uh, smarts or technical uh, detail. La Rochelle's 80% of it was about power. And I think if you look at Leinster, and I think the game showed, like people get carried away with this whole thing about, you know, having a great culture is enough. Um, and, you know, the All Blacks sweeping the sheds, you know, everyone should sweep the sheds or, or culture. Culture is the reason the All Blacks are, are top. The All Blacks have an unbelievable amount of talent as well. They have a lot of depth in, in their talent pool. Um, they lose players to Europe and Japan, but they have good players coming through all the time, pushing, pushing, pushing up. Um, and Leinster have a phenomenal culture and they have a good plan. Um, now, you could argue that they need to have a plan B to be able to play um, away from the contact zone, but um, they definitely have a good tactical uh, plan week in, week out. Uh, but unfortunately, I think they're lacking talent uh, in terms of depth to go and, and win Europe again because they won in 2018, but like, you know, uh, we hadn't won it for a few years before that. We haven't won it since. And I think Leinster, given their budget, given their amount of internationals they have, they need to judge themselves on, on winning European Cups. That's 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 achieving their potential uh, at the moment. But like when you look at the benches, and I look back at the Saracens' defeat in 2019 in Newcastle, and just look at the forwards alone, Saracens on the bench had Barrington, okay, he's not top class, but he's a very good operator. They had Vincent Kosh on the bench to come on. Yeah. They had um, who's now who's a very good player, is going to play for England. They had Schalkberger to come on to replace Vunapola. They had Wigglesworth, Strettle, and Nick Tompkins. Nick Tompkins plays for uh, for Wales. Strettle has numerous English caps, very experienced. Richard Wigglesworth, you know, a, a top quality tactical nine to come on. At the weekend, you know, La Rochelle, who, you know, they had um, an, an Argentinian hooker, Bosch, to come on. Danny Preso, Arto Julie, Gordon, Retier, Poliston, Aguilon. I mean, Leinster's bench, when you look at Leinster's bench, and, I, and I, I'm frustrated myself because I didn't take it into account pre-game, um, but there was no comparison between Leinster's bench. Mm. So you need to have a, 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 and there was no comparison between the Saracens bench that Leinster had uh, when, they, when they lost to them in Newcastle. So I think what Leinster have is an unbelievable amount of depth in terms of players who are good enough at Pro 14 level, okay, um, and are dominant at Pro 14 level, but to win Europe, Europe again, you need more talent. And, and I'll go back to, I'll go back to two thousand nine. You know when Leinster, when um, 
uh, Paul McNaughton was involved and they said, look, we got to push the boat out here. we got to go and win Europe. And obviously we had Brian Driscoll, Shane Horgan, Malcolm O'Kelly. We had loads of like good Irish players, but they went out and signed Rocky Elson, um, CJ Van der Linde and Easton Asiwa to add to Felipe Contaponi and Chris Whitaker. And during the season, we brought in Stan Wright. So we had like six very good foreigners. Stan Wright was the only kind of punt. The rest were all recognised as being top class. Um, and then after that, obviously, they reduced the number of foreign players, but they had Brad Thorne for a season when they won the European Cup. Um, Issa was there all the time. They had Nathan Hines, who was always good enough to start. And when you look at the Leinster squad at the weekend, I mean, Scott Fardy is your, is your only non-Irish player that they have in their squad. And he was only selected on the bench. Um, and like I think that's where we're lacking. So I think, I don't know what the reason is, whether Leinster, because of budget reasons, don't feel they can go out and spend the half a million or the 600,000 that you need to spend to get a top end player now. Um, and maybe their budget is because they have to contract whatever, 50, they use 58 players. You know, they have to contract a lot of players between number 20 and, and, and 40 in your depth chart and they're expensive because some of them are capped, etc. But I think at the moment, um, I think they're lacking that external X factor um, uh that that's a different profile to what we have that all the teams who are competitive in Europe um, have, you know, mm. like, so for example, Exeter are competitive in Europe. They've Stuart Hogg, um, Johnny Gray, for example, yeah. um, you know, they'll go out and get the top end players that they can't bring through their own pathway. And for some reason, Leinster, um, and again, I don't know the reason why, but if you look at the quality of foreign player signing, um, even, you know, compared to Marcel Kutsia, uh, obviously compared to Damien Delande, RG Snyman, I think they're going to have to readdress it. And even with all the internationals they have, to win Europe, I think you need a little bit more. And I don't think, sorry, my point was that there's a talent deficit there against the top teams in Europe yeah. uh, that doesn't get exposed. And so I wouldn't be blaming coaches. I'd be looking at, um, I'd be looking at actually the whole squad and what they need to add to it to, to get over the line again, because I think, I, I don't see them being able to bridge that gap without you know stepping in and, and and going going heavy in the recruitment market. Does that go back to what you were saying originally, Wes, though, that maybe Leinster have an overinflated sense of their own um, self-worth in terms of the players coming through and that they've made a decision. Maybe they have made a decision or maybe it's constraints financially that they're going to back their academy system and players coming through and that's the way they're going to operate. Um, maybe it's Leinster who need to readjust um, their own expectations of the, the calibre of players that are coming through their youth system, which we're constantly told, by the way, is top-class feeder system from the school system through to the academy, through to the, like Leinster is one of the models to be held up as, as one of the bright shining lights of European rugby. But maybe if that's not enough to go and win this competition. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Birch. And look, I'm, I'm a bit biased probably on this kind of idea of these outlier players have, have been banging that drum for a long time. But I mean... Th- the biggest example of that on the field at the weekend of someone who brings a, an abnormal physical skill set to things was Will Skelton. Now, bizarrely, Will Skelton has been viewed as an oddity throughout his career rather than recognised for what he is, which at this point is probably one of the most impactful forwards in the world. Yeah. But I'm, I'm only being slightly facetious here. And being honest about it, I know it from first-hand experience having these conversations. If Will Skelton was in the academy in Leinster or, or arguably any other province, they would be saying he needs to lose 20 kilos and he can't play till he's Broncos under five minutes. They would be not picking him for what he can't do rather than picking him for what he does bring to the team. 
And that is a product, possibly, of maybe too surefire a belief in your system and maybe a, a kind of a cookie-cutter approach to player development that is permeated across all the provinces because it's a central system and they subscribe to one model. Um, as far as Birch's point about contracting players from 35 to 50, it's bang on. I mean, if that's 15 players at 100 grand, that's 1.5 million. Like, La Rochelle's budget's been quoted a few places in the last few days, and it's, you know, they're, they're quoting an operating cost as a playing yeah. wage. Those, those, drop, figures are inc- those figures are incorrect. They're incorrect. Basically. Completely wrong. Yeah. And, yeah. So, yeah, I can come in and clarify that. Yeah. Well, I just want to clarify the budgeting because, yeah, just the budget, and then I'll go back to you. Um, it's used as an excuse when we don't achieve what we should achieve. Uh, so the, the salary cap in, in France is 11.5 million. Okay. Um, I doubt La Rochelle are at the salary cap. Okay. Um, I, 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 I doubt, uh, I'd say they're spending maybe 10 and a half million or whatever, which would compare favorably uh, or, or equally with what Leinster's total spend would be. The, the, the stuff you get thrown out about operating budget, that includes the buses for the under-16s, that includes the stewards. It's everything that goes into goes out from a club during the year. But that's irrelevant. I mean, that's irrelevant to, to comparing player squads, you know. Um, and also, let's be honest, there's a tax break here. So in theory, you know, Irish players will stay for a little bit less here to... So it's not a level playing field. The French and and, all, and also the union are paying the salary yeah. of your most valuable players anyway. If you're an Irish province, i.e., you're centrally contracted guys. So it's a ridiculous line to be putting out there as an excuse. Um, but like, it's not so pronounced with Leinster because, as Birch said and Donald said, their players thirty to fifty are of the have the ability to dominate in the Pro 14. But there is a danger that you can stockpile mediocrity and people talk about international setting the standard for a squad, but they don't because they're away half the season. The standard culturally is set by the guys behind. Um, and if, if you have 20 average players in your squad, that starts to become the pervading culture within the squad, you could argue. Um, and, and I would argue Irish, some of the Irish teams, it's more applicable to some of the others, but, they should nearly tackle their lack of depth by cutting squads further and making it more competitive to get in there. As in, if you if you are outside number 30 in the squad or what's going to be uh, used regularly and you're 25 years of age, you're, in other words, you're a developed player rather than an emerging player. Like, if you're not good enough to play in a Heineken Cup winning team for Ulster, Munster, Leinster, there's an argument that they should be gone and the next guy from the academy brought up and that makes it much more competitive at academy level and it makes it much more competitive at that bottom rung of your squad. Um, so I think when you combine that with the kind of lack of outlier players, um, you, you start to get into a bit of trouble. Like when Leinster were at their best, when they won three European Cups uh, in, in four years or whatever it was, like you looked at the big moments in the big games, whether it was Gordon Darcy turning over Fofana over the try line, whether it was Johnny Sexton inspiring that comeback. They had big players that produced against big opposition at big moments. Like they had world-class players. Now they have a machine which is kind of 8 out of 10 all the time and is good enough most of the time. But when they've come up against these teams with these outlier players like Saris, now like La Rochelle, 
they haven't been able to produce those moments. So I, th- I think that is an issue. And if you look at that Leinster team, Donald, and, and you say, right, how many world-class players do they have? You could say Ty Furlong. And is that about it? Yeah, well, look, just, just park that for a second. I want to pick up on some of the points that Birch and Wes have made there. Um, mm-hmm. There's a times when you, you can actually become a product of your own success. And, you know, when everybody's coming from all over Europe and they're coming into Dublin, they want to see how you're producing all these players then maybe you do get a little bit comfortable within your own setup. There is a suge- there is a, a, um, a probably a, a position as well whereby um, you become a product of your own success in that if you have 20 fellas constantly away and you're conscious of the fact that you could have 20 fellas away with Ireland at a World Cup or in a Six Nations camp or the Autumn Series, then it becomes about bringing volume into your group, which kind of hits into where Wes was coming from. I mean, was it the, the, the game against Munster recently where Leinster brought on the 57th and 58th player who played for them in the Pro 14 this season alone? So, like, that's fantastic to have that depth. But I think we're recognising now that a lot of them are all maybe at that same level, Pro 14 level, which when you get to the last four in Europe, and, and, and let's face it, Leinster have been, except Saracens beat them in the quarterfinal last season or last September, but, you know, they are a top four side. But there is no doubt that they are lacking that extra bit of quality, the type of that overseas um, added value that you can't intrinsically get in the makeup of the beast we have here in Ireland. So um, I, I, there's no doubt, I think, that Leinster maybe have taken their eye off the ball from that, <coughs> excuse me, from that point of view, um, because power has been the thing that has prevented them from advancing either to semi-finals or finals now in the last two or three years. Um, so you, you go back to the Skelton thing. I mean, Skelton, uh, I remember when, when, when Raj bought him, he was really excited about him. Um, I mean, he was out there with Saracens. There was talk about him going back to Australia. Uh, like, Skelton is a freak. And when you look, Let's say Fardy and Devon Toner, one is 35, I think, one is 34, coming to the end of their careers. Uh, Leinster and Ireland, you'd be happy. Look, there's a, a potential second row in the making for Leinster and Ireland with Ryan Baird and James Ryan for the next number of years. But at the cutting end of Europe, as a combination, are they the right two together to be able to win a Heineken Cup? You know, from what we've seen with Saracens and with La Rochelle and indeed, uh, you know, with the likes of Toulouse, then maybe they're not. So, I mean, Skelton, I remember the first time I saw Skelton, he was playing for the Waratahs against the Lions in 2013. He was 20 years of age. He was playing because the other second rows were in the Wallaby squad. Johnny Sexton was the week before the first test and Johnny Sexton took a ball up. And the next thing, he disappeared. He got enveloped by this man mountain. <laughs> he was stretchered on the ground. I thought he'd never get up again. Yeah. Uh, oh, to be fair to Johnny, he did get up and he was, he was but it was like a fly hitting the windscreen when you're driving to Dublin and they're just, it was gone. Uh, <laughs> but I remember standing outside waiting for a taxi to go back to the, um, the hotel and Skelton, he was only 20 years of age. He came out, he still had his shorts on, his plain shorts. He had a, a kind of a tracksuit with a gear bag over him. And a pair of leather shoes, and he was waiting for a lift to go home. And you could, he was enormous. Mm. Um, 
Now, they had a problem in getting him aerobically fit, and he's never really fitted into the Australian way. But he is certainly, uh, to be fair to, to Raj and John O'Gibbs, they saw something that he could add to their group, and uh, there's no question that he has done that. We are probably lacking that type of player. Leinster had it when they had Brad Thorne, when they had Nathan Hines, uh, Rocky Elsom in a different uh, shape. So the, and Munster had it when you brought Jim Williams in that time. But they, I, I, I agree 100% with, with Birch on this. You've got to get the mix right and that little bit of X factor from outside if you need it to close the gap with the others. But maybe when everybody's telling you you're doing a brilliant job producing all these players, you just take your eye off the ball a bit. But the, there's no question in my mind that Leinster will sit down after this. They will reassess where they are. Um, and, I mean, the model is there. I mean... Munster and Ulster have been able to bring in high-profile overseas players, the Snamans, the Kutsias, the um, Dialandes. So why not Leinster? They shouldn't be penalised because they, you know, their, their production line is good. But I think what we're seeing now, it's not broad enough to generate the key type of players that are the missing ingredient in getting over the last hurdle. And I also think uh, the tide is rising. We're seeing a number of French clubs playing real good quality rugby at the moment. Um, so therefore, uh, I, as I say, it, you've always in, in Europe, you've had one or two outlier clubs. It was Toulon who won three in a row. Then it became Saracen. Uh, Exeter looked, Exeter were on a mission, but they looked absolutely knackered because of what happened with COVID. Their season was extended. They've looked knackered all year. Um, but Toulouse, or sorry, La Rochelle, really... Uh, and they've had a bit of luck, let's be honest about it. Like, they played Edinburgh in the opening game. The game against Bath was cancelled, so they won. They got their 28 points out of that. Um, they got Gloucester in a quarterfinal sale. But this was the real test on Saturday. And by God, did they show that they're capable of playing at that level. And you just have to take the opportunities. Maybe it's written in the stars that this is going to be their year. Maybe it is. And just, you know, the power obviously is, is, is one huge aspect of the game and the likes of Skelton and, and what they can bring. And you mentioned the type five vert as well for, for La Rochelle. But I was also struck by the, by the brilliant rugby that they played. You know, I mean, the, when they did use the power to win possession and the set piece, whatever, they were able to throw the ball around so comfortably between backs and forwards, offloading the ball, overlapping, supporting each other as well, where, where Leinster just weren't able to do that on the day. And, Again, it's a team with Toulouse. You can see it as well. The way they play rugby when they, they beat Munster was the same thing. You know, they, they set the foundation. And then when they had the foundation, they were able to execute it brilliantly and in a way that actually was really entertaining to watch. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, they're a good side. The, the only issue they have with Toulouse is that mental mental block. But, um, you know, you could see them. They weren't they weren't daunted in any way by playing Leinster, who, who have a huge amount of experience. It's an all-French final. They know them well. They've, they've obviously lost a few games against them. But... Um, I think they'll be set up. I mean, they're well coached, uh, as you as you said. And uh, you know, even Toulouse, and I, I want to get back to this. Um, even Toulouse, who have the best academy in in French rugby, um, you know, and spend a huge amount of money working with their local clubs, um, has always been an area where good young French players migrate towards. I mean, they have gone out and signed Richie Arnold, Rory Arnold, Charlie Faumina. Um, Jerome Kaino on the bench, uh, and Chesney Kobe, like that's the reality, that's what we're up against. So, we're, it's not a knock on Leinster's academy, or it's great to have so many good young Irish players, 
but there's not a sport in the world that don't go and find talent, don't find match winners uh, and recruit them to help the overall team. And I don't think it takes from the international team for Ireland. I think at the moment we're at, we're at a stage where the international team are, are treading water a third in the Six Nations. We're not able to get the deal done at European level. I think that psychologically can deflate our internationals as well. If you're James Ryan, right, and you played against La Rochelle at the weekend, I know he's only come back from injury, but, you know, there's no doubt in the dressing room or in the weeks after you feel you feel that lack of power. Whereas if you play alongside a Will Skelton or a, or a George Cruz or, or Mario Toje and you beat teams like that, you know, it, it improves your self-belief, your confidence, etc. So uh, it's 100%. And um, we, we probably need to be a little bit more ruthless in terms of... Um, and, and whatever the... I know there's, there's constraints with this player pathway and Team Ireland... Um, but the reality is, if our provinces, you know, can't bring success, like our provinces do fund, are, are self-funded to some ex- some extent. Um, it's not a complete, um, you know, uh, subsidy system. So, like, I, I just think if we have provinces who are at the the real business end of Europe are capable of winning us, um, you know, they'll generate their own funding from within, you know, as well to a certain extent, or maybe go down the third party route. Are they allowed? Are Leinster allowed to go out and get third party backing if it's a budget constraint? To sign is it that a budget way. constraint? Do you think? Is it a budget constraint? Look, I'm sure. Look, I'm sure. Leinster have to spend a lot of money to keep what they have, um, uh, and part of that. Sorry, you. Sorry, you. It, it can't. It, it can't be a budget constraint when um, Munster were going to sign Peter Steph to Tide, and they had a backer to come in and support that. But the IRFU pulled the plug on that. So therefore, um, you know, it's it's not just down to budget alone. Um, Sorry, Bert, for coming across, cutting across no, you there. No, 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 absolutely. No, it's, it's, like, it's not clear. That's the thing. I, look, exactly. I, I, I agree with you, Donald. Um, that one's not budget um, constraints. Is there a pressure on Leinster if they sign someone from outside to move somebody? You know, there's lots of rumours of that, that. That's it's kind of, um, you know, it's a, it's a bargaining position. Yeah, if you go and get a, a six, you've got to move a Max Deegan or whatever, you know, and, and, and maybe then they decide not to do that. Um, we don't know. It's not clear. It's not transparent, and, and maybe it doesn't need to be. But certainly, uh, as 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 Irish rugby supporters, I think I think it needs to be looked at. I, I think it's travesty that we can't win Europe um, again. And like, look, I go back to Munster two thousand six, two thousand eight, Leinster two thousand nine. You know, in a decade where we were still finding our feet in terms of professionalism and and Europe, we were able to win. And for all the talk about how brilliant our system is. We're not really winning what we what we aspire to win, or are looking like we're we're guaranteed. Like if you then start go into Europe next year, okay, they'll have you know Johnny Sexton might be back, Kellen Doris might be back. Well, realistically, like can we say that squad, um, you know, will will be able to go and beat beat the best in Europe? I I, I think I I can't say. Yeah, and even uh, just to take yeah. up on the point there in terms of of. There's no doubt in my mind that when the provinces are doing well and they are winning in Europe, the feel-good factor when you go into that international camp, there's no question that that aids the international team. It also puts up the ante for the other provinces because, you know, when it was Munster who were dominant, the Leinster fellas were a national squad, kind of jealous of these fellas. Likewise, when Leinster had been dominated throughout the, uh, the last decade, um, Munster and Ulster were there. They were doing everything they could to try and catch up with them. So success breeds success. 
you mentioned James Ryan Birch. Do you remember the the when he came into the the national or to the uh, his first year in professional rugby? Everybody was waxing lyrical about the fact he went something like twenty one games without being defeated, be it with Leinster in Ireland. So yeah. there's a feel good factor definitely um, um, uh, parallel with that. Um, but and 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 I want to go back to you and just uh, take you up on the point, La Rochelle. Yes, they played very good rugby, but I wouldn't say it was all this all-court attacking wide rugby. I think Raj is pulling the wool over a lot of fellas' eyes with, you know, this keep ball alive stuff. If you analyse, why did they beat Leinster? The, 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 the quality of their scrum, which gave them the platform, they got a couple of penalties out of it. The quality of their line-out mall, which pulled Leinster into giving away penalties. Their work at the breakdown, where they generated about four turnover penalties. The quality of the kicking from the halfbacks and Carbarlo in particular. And uh, I hear uh, West, he was a running, passing fly half. And, you know, to be fair to Raj, I think he's developed him in terms of his tactical awareness and his kicking. And the last bit of the element, which was probably the most important, was their defensive structure and organisation. They had that banana defence. They were pressurising Leinster from the outside in. They were imposing uh, shooters as well. So Leinster were panicked into cutting back into the big forwards. So, you know, I think it, it kind of suits the narrative to say they got the ball wide and they're a lovely squad. But if you look at all the basics of the game, without the ball, they suffocated Leinster. No, you're wrong. So, it's all about the offloading. It's all about the offloading. Oh, you're yeah, wrong. Yeah, you're wrong. Yeah. I just, just pick something you said earlier, right? <laughs> if it's not a budgetary issue in terms of, <clears throat> of being able to sign, sign these... Um, to sign these impact players, um, foreign players that could come in, the likes of the Rocky Ellisons, Nathan Hines, etc. over the years, if it's not a budgetary constraint, is are those kind of signings being vetoed then by David and Sephora? Are the, are the Leinster and Munster being told, you can't sign those players <clears throat> because they're being told to develop from within? And is it an instruction coming from on high that prevents them from signing the likes of Steph Dutoy? Yes. The simple answer is, yeah. when you go back, to be fair, there is logic. Everything in Ireland, like the, the national team is at the top of the pyramid. So everything is geared towards uh, trying to generate success through the provinces to the benefit of the national team. Where the control from the RFU came in initially was in the key elements, or sorry, in the key positions on the pitch. In other words, you know, you can only have one foreign 10 or one foreign nine. Um, and there is logic to that, in my view, when you only have, say, four provinces. If you had two out halves from overseas, Dan Carter and Will Guinea playing for Munster and Leinster, what does that do for the national team in terms of bringing on their number 10? I actually see logic in that. I don't have, and, and, uh, I don't have a difficulty. If you remember Sean Moore, the, the Australian captain, the hooker, was stopped from joining yeah. Munster because it was seen as, as uh, he'd be blocking a place for the young hookers who were coming through. And in those specialist positions, I do actually see logic, but I think we've got to look at the broader picture now and, and try and balance that logic on one side with the benefits that are derived by bringing in a Peter Steph Dutoy or a Dan Carter or a Dougie Howlett, um, Aysen Asewe. What do they add to the overall picture? How does that make those individual provinces better? And so, therefore, that is serving the national cause, albeit in a different way. I think we've just got too blinkered, where, where our first reaction is to close off those overseas signings. 
it's a bit like you know the 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 blanket ban on any player who goes abroad can't play for the international team and we've discussed that as well there are merits to that in certain situations but in other situations if you've no full back left and Simon Zebo is the only man left standing does it make sense not to pick him so i think we've got carried away and it's it's probably um david nusifora has been he has this all encompassing power and maybe it's time to question that and maybe it's time to review what worked for us 5 years ago may not work for us now all successful organizations the time to review and uh, adjust is when you're on top now we were on top in in 18 leinster won the the heineken cup they won the double uh, ireland won that grand slam but we've been uh, we've been slipping down since the world cup was a disaster for us and we haven't really recovered from it and both provincially and nationally we've been sliding since the world cup so therefore what we're doing isn't working and if you don't if you don't change things then everything stays the same and that's what's happening at the moment yeah and the world cup was a disaster Birch, and nothing seems to have changed really there hasn't been any certainly to my eye or that i can that i can make out it hasn't been any kind of material difference in our approach to the the game overall the strategy here so i mean <laughs> What happens next? Look, I don't think there's any harm in having a review of. Uh, I know we're not great on reviews, and and um, the one the, the World Cup review has stayed a secret. No one knows what was in it. Um, only what we were kind of told, and even some of those things weren't acted upon. Uh, so, for example, one of the big things weren't we weren't apparently skillful enough um, as an international side. But yes, where has been the the uh, the action to address that, like Munster don't have a full time. Munster are one of the few professional teams don't have a full time skills coach. You know, so if skills is a deficit, um, and we have a huge amount of money being invested in the pro game. Why haven't um, we addressed that in terms of some kind of a skills program, etc.? It's just um, yeah, it's just very very strange. And I'm looking back at that 2018 team that won. I mean, you had Scott Fardy who was who started number six. Um, he was, you know, three or, or three years younger, and he'd eaten a seaway in there, who we know was a phenomenal uh, player. So even then, they had, you know, two top end, uh, two up, top end internationals, and obviously, you know, Sean Cronin and Keane Healy, Devon Toner were all a little bit younger. Uh, Dan Levy was was fit, and their, their bench was a hell of a lot stronger. Their bench at the time was Joey Carberry, uh, Gibson Park. Jack Conan, Reese Ruddock, Andrew Porter, Jack McGrath um, are, are guys on it. So, like, we've lost, I know we have injuries, but we've, we, we have lost our way a little bit. And as Donald said, it's not working. But what are we going to do? Just double down and do, do the same thing again? Um, or are we actually going to look at what led to 2018? You know, what was, what was happening in 2015, 16, 17? And, um, and, and what was the age profile of the team like? And, you know, what was the, uh, yeah, we're, why were why were we able to do, to do that then at international level and at provincial level? But I just don't see us getting out of this hole, to be honest. Um, unless we we drastically change. In fairness, I admire Munster. They've addressed that they're not as competitive as they need to be. They want to get past semi-finals. They want to win trophies, and they've gone out and signed. You know, Simon Zebo co-funded, um, Damien Delande, uh, RG Snyman, and obviously Jenkins coming in. Fair play to them. That's. That's what we want. We, we want our provinces to uh, be, be pissed off, not achieving what they, they feel is their, is their uh, right to achieve and 
making decisions and acting uh, to change that. And that, that's probably going to have to happen in Leinster now. And, and it sounds terrible because obviously they're, they're a successful team in terms of win ratios. But I, I genuinely believe that Leinster Munster should be able to be winning European Cups um, uh, again. Uh, and Ulster, obviously a little bit behind in terms of budget, etc. But Leinster Munster should be at the top table. And at the moment, we're, we're, we're a little bit off it. So you'd have to expect, you know, that's what high performance is. It's it's identifying weaknesses and 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 changing it. And Wayne Smith has a great um, uh, synopsis of performance. Or the, the former All Black coach, he says, performance is your capabilities multiplied by your behaviors. Right? There's absolutely no doubt that the Irish team's behaviors are, are very strong. They're all of an unbelievable work ethic. They're all have uh, a real um, purpose in terms of trying to win things for provinces. But if your capabilities are less than your up your opponents, you can't you can't win. I mean, you know, look at the look at the the, the four by one hundred meter in in um, in the Olympics. Obviously, the odd time there's an outlier, but most of the time it's the Americans and and uh, the Jamaicans because they have the four fastest guys in their team. Like that's the that's the reality. And, and at the moment in rugby, despite all the tackle technique, despite um, you know all the defensive systems. Power and size is still massive, and particularly in the Pro 14, where there's a deficit of it. So someone like Papalihi for Connacht can come on for 20 minutes against Ulster and actually turn the game. Papalihi is his rugby pedigree in terms of being a world-class player is, is miles away. He's a rugby league convert, but he has power and size. And because because we lack that, um, that can influence a game. And that's the, 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 the problem for us. When we go to play the top teams in Europe, they have five or six guys like Papali and, and and we struggle. Yeah, culture is great, yeah. I guess. And, and, yeah, sorry, but and without that power, then it goes back. Sorry, I have this little slip of paper here. I have it in my me, me notebook all the time. I keep transferring it. They were actually what we learned from the, um, the review. The only thing that came out sort of publicly in the review of the World Cup in 19 was uh, a failure to develop their style of play. In other words, if you remember... Uh, Ireland had got to a certain point in 18. They kept trying to do what worked for them then, but by the end of 19, the opposition had coppened onto it. Uh, psychological shortcomings, uh, uh, a need to continue developing Irish player skill sets. I, so those three things, I think we still haven't resolved. Um, psychological shortcomings, look at Ulster last weekend. They were well in control of that game against uh, Leicester semi-final of the Challenge Cup. Yeah. They actually went into the dressing room believing they had the job done. Like, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to come out and say, well, Leicester, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at you after the break. You've got to be ready for this. But Leicester exploded out of the blocks, and you have psychologically, Ulster collapsed. Um, talk about develop uh, the other one, a failure to develop their style of play. We have known for a number of years here that we lack against sides who have that massive power, the South Africa's France, England. But have we seen any signs of a development in our own style of play that enables us to get around that deficit or to play, for example, the way Japan have developed their game? We, we haven't. And we're now nearly two years after the World Cup and there has been no uh, gains made on that front either. So um, I, I, I do think we have serious issues both at provincial and international level to address if we want to get back to where we were a couple of years ago. 
Okay, <clears throat> lads, we <don't, clears throat> we're just out of time. Just before we leave, Donald, um, there are South African fans now tuning into the RT Rugby podcast to hear your Lions weekly updates. <clears throat> Any news <laughs> on whether it actually is going to go ahead or not? Have you have you heard anything at all? I know that the squad is going to be named tomorrow and a captain by Warren Gatland. Um, does that mean anything or is it is it just a squad for the squad's sake at the moment? Yeah, look, I think it has to go ahead at this stage. Uh, in fact, I was talking to one or two uh, sponsors just by coincidence in the past week, and you know they're adamant that it will go ahead. Um, but I do find it incredible that Warren is announcing the squad tomorrow live and uh, the British and Irish Lions website and all this. But we still don't know where four of the eight matches are going to be played. Uh, I, I, I just find that incredible. Um, so look, I'd be amazed if it doesn't go ahead at this stage. I was sceptical uh, all along. I'm still sceptical, but I can see that we get to this point now where you literally, you're, you're announcing 36 players tomorrow and a massive fanfare uh, and, and all that goes with it. Um, so look, it looks as if it, it, it is going ahead. Um, the, uh, the pub, which well, sure we don't have pubs anymore. I was going to say the pub fancy, uh, fantasy lion squads that normally go on. Uh, we've only been confined to reading them in the paper, but look, all will be revealed tomorrow. Yeah, and you wouldn't be overly confident that Ireland will have too many players. You never know, you never know, but look, we'll wait and see, and it's something we'll talk about on the podcast last week. Fascinating stuff, gents. Uh, for anyone who's um, continuing to listen in and wondering where the hell Wes has gone, his, um, he had a bit of a technological issue, so Unfortunately, we lost him. But look, thanks to I Bernard. Think he, he, I think he had to go back to school, did he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, ju- the junior cert mocks are on in about a half an hour, so you've got to get in for that. Uh, thanks to Donald and to Bernard. We're back on the podcast next week. Talk to you then.